0: A quick note before this week's episode, it was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the
1: writers and actors currently on strike, the film being discussed here would not exist. Big fluff.
0: Traveling without moving.
1: Now I truly control the worm and the spice.
0: Hey, everybody, I'm Joel Murphy and I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings and we are looking at uh,
1: tangently related franchise movies. With 2023 releases, I guess is how we're shoehorning this one in.
0: I mean, I, I believe the pitch was that these are failed blockbusters. And yeah, they we've picked four movies that have either a continuation of that version of it, or in this case, it's like a reboot coming out this year. So yeah, there's, there's a new Dune movie coming out at the end of the year. There's, you know... Uh, the, the sequel, the second half of uh, Dune that came out. Two years ago. Right. And we we did a Mission Impossible movie. There's a Mission Impossible movie. You know. Did Indiana Jones movie. There's an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. It's, it's thought out. Hey.
1: Hey, listen. Hey. A, a chance to talk about David Lynch's Dune, I think, is worth it.
0: It is. Because uh, David Lynch certainly doesn't want to talk about David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> and probably not that many people involved Someone's in Someone's got it. to. So, so it falls to us. And yeah, I, I do think that this is a really fascinating movie because I don't think that it's become a cult classic by any means, but it's become, like, it has a cult status of awareness, I think. It's an infamous yeah, I, movie. <laughs> it it doesn't, it's not beloved enough to be a cult classic the
1: way that you could even say that, like, Blue Velvet is a cult classic, even though that movie was sort of revered from Jump Street. Right. Uh, but uh, just use other David or Racerhead, maybe is a better example of a David Lynch cult classic. Mulholland uh, Drive. I don't know. Yeah.
0: I love Mulholland Drive. That is like it, Well, when we finish this show, why don't you tell me what that movie is about? And then I can tell I you if I know. liked it or not. <laughs> I, d- I don't. I love that movie and I don't know. Yeah. And I don't care. No, I Um, Here's what I love anyways, about David Lynch that I want to say at the top. He's Weird. And I think a lot of people try to affect weird. They try to make weird movies. I don't know that David Lynch tries to make weird movies. I think he tries to make movies and they end up being really weird. I think that might be
1: the most accurate assessment of David Lynch. Um, I think that he... I think he just vibrates at a slightly different frequency from the rest of the world. Yeah, and, and as, as far
0: as we all know, he thinks he's making... You know, rom coms that <laughs> he's just making. <laughs> yeah. Palatable summer blockbusters, and he's surprised. How do you not understand what, what, Wait, Holland what drives it's about? Not... I, I thought it was very clear. It's, it's, it's about a, the dangers of story texting about... and driving.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a two hour and 40 minute PSA for texting and driving. I don't know what. I thought that was very clear. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was evident. I mean, if you do that, you could look like the guy behind the diner if you text
0: and drive exactly. too much. That's the thing. You think it's the drive on Mulholland Drive in the wreck, but no, it's actually it's that guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. Since we'll never talk about Mulholland Drive on this podcast, I want to say I think the scariest scene in the history of movies is is the reveal of the guy behind the diner.
0: Yeah, that one's like that yeah, whole
1: sequence for sure is the scare. I think that's the scariest sequence I've ever seen in movies. Yeah, it's the best jump scare I've ever had happen to I me. Mean, I, I I say that without hyperbole or exaggeration. Like, I think it was truly perfect.
0: No, it really is. No, I'm in endlessly fascinated by that movie. And I also once long ago for Hobo Trash Can got a chance to interview Laura Haring for a project. And I really just wanted to ask her questions about it. And she answered all of them. And I was more confused afterwards (laughs) (laughs) because nothing she said clarified anything but it was I'm, great I, and she was delightful. And I'm sure she didn't think she was clarifying anything either. No, I mean her answers were like I don't know what was happening. We were confused. We talked about it <laughs> like it was basically her agreeing of like I don't know, the movie doesn't <laughs> make sense. I, but yeah, it, she, she said that it was supposed to be a pilot for a TV show. I do remember that. At one point yeah, I, I do remember reading that that like there
1: was it was a, like a TV sh- it was where basically Naomi Watts character was going to be the lead. But that doesn't clarify anything for me. No. <laughs> club silencio where the hell does that come from no i
0: bandito all of it anyway that's not what we're here to discuss although we should off the air have a long discussion about and tribe someday because that of all the i don't know what it is out of all of his movies that i've seen and i've seen a good amount of them that's the one that just it it really tickles my brain in a specific way because my brain thinks that it can figure out what it's about but it can't
1: i i've resigned myself to the fact that i it's unknowable.
0: Yeah. But I think that's why that, you know, on my deathbed, I will still be trying to solve.
1: <laughs> and like, uh, the last thing we'll say about this, like the DVD liner notes, like give clues to figuring out the plot
0: and they don't help no, at all. Nobody understands the plot at all. Possibly not even David Lynch. Oh, assuredly not David Lynch.
1: <laughs> um, Now, David Lynch is a fascinating figure and I feel like... If we're being honest, this is probably the only David Lynch movie we could do for this podcast.
0: Which is a shame because I I would love to do an entire podcast where we just talk about David Lynch. We could talk about the fact that his nickname for Laura Dern is Bits, which is one of my favorite pieces of information ever. We could talk about the fact that when you last came to visit, when we went to WrestleMania, we went to Bob's Big Boy and talked about the fact that it is David Lynch's favorite restaurant in Los Angeles. And... Yeah, it's yeah, and he frequently hangs out there with Bits. Yeah, that that's they go there together. He's had professional meetings at Bob's Big Boy. We can also if we want to get it back on track to this discussion, we can talk about the utterly baffling fact that in taking this movie Dune, he turned down an offer from George Lucas to direct Return of the Jedi. Um I while true, I think that he would have turned it down anyway. Well, right, and uh, from what I was reading, the the quote at least attributed to him is that he told George Lucas, "That's your thing." <laughs> yeah, it's not my thing. It's, it's not your my thing. thing. So yeah, I don't think he ever was gonna. It was more just that he was offered Return of the Jedi, which is also strange. But yeah, I guess to your point, before this was early enough in David Lynch's career that people maybe weren't sure what a david lynch movie was or could be but it's it's hilarious now to think of him being offered like if he was offered a fast and furious or like you know a jurassic park oh my god (laughs) if david lynch directed a fast xi
1: (laughs) they have to drive probably they have to drive backwards (laughs) it's it's just mulholland drive recast with fast and furious people (laughs) It's all on the Mahal and Drive. They have to race. Yeah, M- the Michelle Rodriguez is, is Naomi Watts and Jordana Brewster is you know hot by uh, the way. Hot, yeah, yeah. Uh, Vin Diesel is the guy behind the diner. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> um, uh, Ludacris is the no band that doesn't show up on stage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's uh. It's Tyrese that has to come out and announce there's no band, and he's very uncomfortable. He's like, there's no band. Damn it.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, I would watch it. Uh, So, David Lynch, if you're listening, we know you are.
0: Yeah. I I also, by the (laughs) way... the next Fast and Furious movie. Well, we're just talking about David Lynch before we get into the movie proper... I highly recommend going on YouTube and finding his channel where he just gives a weather report for Los Angeles every day. It is delightfully weird. And I'm sure he just thinks
1: he's doing a service by giving a weather report for Los Angeles. There's no other way that they could know what the weather is in Los Angeles. There's there's no other options. You can just
0: (laughs) watch my YouTube show or you could... I have a thermometer that I put outside in the sun and then I read it to everyone. It's the most efficient way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, David Lynch, he is so delightfully weird. He really is. There's... Um, Okay, one more. One more. I remember reading a thing where he did an interview once and he, he had bought five Woody Woodpecker dolls, like identical Woody Woodpecker dolls, from like a gas station or something. He gave them all names. And I really wish I could tell you what the names were. But he ominously ended his anecdote about them by saying, they're not in my life anymore. <laughs> <laughs> also, he once bought a cow to for a, uh, a an Oscar campaign for Laura Dern. He sat on the side of the road. He didn't buy it. He sat on the side of the road with a cow. And as people were driving around to L.A. to promote her winning, her getting nominated for an Oscar. I think for Maholland Drive, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> or, sure. Wait, it, yeah. No, she was not in that. She was not in Mulholland Drive. I don't know. I don't remember. What, what would it have been? It was like in one of the more recent, the Inland Empire? It might have been Inland Empire. Yeah, I
1: think Inland Empire. That yeah. sounds right.
0: Yeah, anyway. Either way. Now, David Lynch is delightfully esoteric,
1: and it is, honestly, like, I feel like, Nowadays, offering a David Lynch type, some weird big franchise tentpole seems more in line than it would have in
0: 1983. Yeah, but. I, I can't follow this. Step. Because also, if people don't know, before David Lynch, Ridley Scott was supposed to direct this, which makes more sense because he was coming off of Alien. And, right. and in fact, and in st- had H.R. Giger doing artwork for the like concept sketches for this as well.
1: Which is related to that Alexander Todorovsky's Dune, which has the famous documentary about the failed effort to make that movie. Right. That H.R. Giger was on 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 the design team for that.
0: Yeah. Which also, I mean, he had. I guess he had already done them. You know, get paid twice if you can. It's the, yeah. It's, hey. It's the, it's the, why not? It's the Giger way. Uh, the geek's gonna geek. You know what I'm. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then Ridley Scott was supposed to do it and then had some kind of conflict and dropped out and uh, to do Blade Runner, I believe. It's a crazy and he ended time. Up, he, ended up, he ended up doing Blade Runner instead,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's a... It's um, a what a, I read is that his older brother sort of uh, surprised, like, passed away sort of out of nowhere and that was, like, right in line when pre-production was supposed to start. So, he like, he took time to grieve and, you know, deal with all the family needs and everything and then, uh, you know, did Blade Runner.
0: Yeah, which... It's wild how many big, iconic movies were all swirling well, around at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the other weird sort of connection to all of this
1: is that Blade Runner 2049 is directed by Denis Villeneuve, who has is the director of the two new Dune movies. Yes. Yeah. So it all
0: circles back to Dune. It all comes back to Dune. It does. Which also, uh, I guess, all comes back to Lawrence of Arabia, which Dune is inspired by. Yes,
1: there's there's a lot of overlap between Lawrence of Arabia and and Dune. Yeah. Um, cuz the the Dune books are a light allegory
0: for uh OPEC's control over the oil industry. And the actual man that Lawrence of Arabia is based on
1: is it an actual T. Lawrence, yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Um yeah. The T. Lawrence is is more or less Paul Atreides. yada yada. Yeah, and, and all of that stuff happens in Lawrence of Arabia. If you haven't seen it in a while, he puts his hand in a box and feels pain. He he gets hooked on Spice. He rides a giant worm at the end of Lawrence of Arabia. Which, oh, does he ride a giant worm? Which, if you've never seen Peter O'Toole ride a giant worm, it's it's cinema, my friend. Oh, cinema, baby. <laughs> uh, Yeah, this... um, That's, of course, Peter O'Toole from former SLP film Phantoms peter o'toole of phantoms fame yeah
1: um anyways so yeah so dune uh one of the most beloved science fiction franchises of all time yes uh literarily Mm -hmm. and uh so it was inevitable that they were going to try to make it into a movie uh at first the alexander todorovsky like failed epic just biting off more than you can choose tale and then Star Wars hit, and so they realized that uh, sci-fi could be profitable and wasn't just like B-movie, you know, cheesy schlock cinema that they could actually make some money with it. Well, and Alien uh,
0: as well. Like Ridley Scott, Alien, yeah. for no, sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, helped. But, no, the, but those were both proving that uh, <clears throat> yeah, that sci-fi could be profitable and could be, like, quality cinema, not just, you know, overlooked. Uh, and so then unless you're uh, the finally, academy then it can unless be overlooked. You're the academy that's fair <laughs> yeah uh the academy who was also given guillermo del toro an oscar for a movie about a woman having sex with a fish man
0: yeah but that that really happened that's true right that's the difference yeah that is the difference yeah so that's that's again that's based on a real story yeah um in baltimore
1: <laughs> exactly
0: we all we all know about the fish man
1: Mm -hmm. anyways uh our laser focus to talk about david lynch's dune um and i think the fact that like david lynch movies are david lynch movies like there's there you know he is the epitome of an auteur director where these movies are his this being the glaring exception in his filmography
0: right and it being famous, he, he's talked about this quite a bit, and, and he considers this his one failure in his career, and talks about the fact that it's the only movie where he didn't have final cut, although he says technically he didn't have final cut for Elephant Man either, like on paper, but they allowed him to cut it the way that but, he yeah, would. But, but Mel Brooks, who produced it, yeah. uh, was like, no, you you can have final cut. So this is the only film that like someone else besides David Lynch edited, and that is not the only, but probably the most glaring problem. And you can see it with the new Dune that, you know, the more recent one is this story is really long and it's that film actually is only even adapting half of the book. And it's a three hour movie where this was a film that David Lynch wanted to be three hours that he was told to make closer to two hours because they wanted to be able to show it more in theaters. So, That's why a lot of things are cut. A lot of the narrative is kind of disjointed. And then we get the Virginia Madsen narration to fill in things that were cut from the film. Right.
1: Yeah, no, this uh, this is one of those things where, yeah, doing the book at a minimum, I think, is two movies.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, you can see that watching what they're making now where... It ends with uh, basically Paul meeting the uh, the, what the Fremen, the, Chani. Yeah, the and Fremen, and they yeah. he kind of asserts himself as a leader of them by winning a battle, and then that's it. <laughs> and so this whole you know end of this, like the big showdown and all that, and like him becoming this messiah figure and leading an army. That all happens in the second film, right?
1: Uh yeah, this movie the the first movie I think ends pretty intelli- the intelligently sort of at the precipice of his journey to be uh no longer Paul Atreides, but Muad'Dib, the uh the desert mouse. Yes. And um Yeah, this this movie is a journey. It's one of those things um it is a product of its time, I feel like.
0: The uh the talking about the david Lynch version i thought you were gonna say um, the fact that toto did the music that really grounds it in the exact
1: and the fact that yeah in St- that exact milieu um and sting is in it
0: yeah <laughs> uh
1: yeah it's um it's and I mean the special effects i think while not great for the time pretty good for the time definitely feel very dated um it's one of those things where like normally i would not ding a movie for that but like sometimes it, it took me out of it a little bit I'll if i'm being fully honest i
0: don't know that that didn't bother me and i actually thought there's some really cool creature effects in this i love the big uh the guy in the, the glass jar whatever his name is that you know comes yeah. t- there. there's some cool effects and i mean some of it's a little like 80s cheesy of maybe the way the eyes glow or you know some of the effects maybe the sequence that we played at the top but i i just again that that just feels like the time to me but i actually think to me it looks good and i do think it's weird to imagine because what a waste it would have been but i think that david lynch could have been a very successful commercial director if he wanted to be because i think He is clearly capable of directing something on this scale.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. Um, I think that commercial cinema would be wildly different if David Lynch were. uh, If he let's say he and Spielberg switched roles.
0: I would love to see Spielberg try to make a David Lynch movie. Oh, I wouldn't. (laughs) I mean, he made a Kubrick film and it's great. We all love it. And we could never do it on this podcast because it's so beloved.
1: Yeah, we're never ever going to talk about that movie. <laughs> um <clears throat> and anyways, uh yeah, this movie like it's bogged down by the fact that they were f- they were trying to do a gigantic tome of a book in one movie. So they had to rush things, they had to cut things. Like they filmed a lot of stuff that they ended up not using. Uh Patrick Stewart who plays a small role in the movie. Uh, even said, he's like, yeah, every actor had at least four scenes completely cut from the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it it's I mean, that's the thing. I think a three hour version would have still been tough because, like we're saying, the, the new Dune is what essentially like six hours <laughs> to cover the same material. And it, yeah, it's that it, it's funny. I've never read the books. It sounds like maybe you
1: have but i actually have not um i did uh, i read the wikipedia synopses uh just to sort of refresh myself on some of the lore uh but yeah as as much of a sci-fi and fantasy nerd as i am uh dune is one of the big gaps of things that i haven't read
0: yeah but it, i was gonna say like i haven't read the books but having watched the new film it did strike me watching this how much is the same like that you know I, it yeah. seems faithful To that, that a lot of the at least like they might happen very different in the way that they're filmed or presented, but story wise, like beat wise, all the same things kept happening. And that I could be like, Oh, Patrick Stewart is James Brolin, you know, (laughs) like you could see who was who, you know, and and make sense on like a one to one level of who Oscar Isaac is Jurgen Pranch now. (laughs) As we all know. Yeah. As we all know, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Um
1: Yeah, it's uh, even Frank Herbert said of this movie, he's like, yeah, it's not great, but it was still pretty amazing to see my words and my images on the screen, because he's like, it's not a poor adaptation. It's just such a condensed version
0: of what I was I wrote. Well, I will say I because I read that, too, and I I read a, a thing from Frank Herbert as well that I do think gets to if we're in addition to. The they wanted it in at two hours and David Lynch didn't have final cut, which I do think is the biggest and most pervasive problem. I think a thing that always seems like it was flawed about this version that Herbert touched on as well as he talked about the fact that it rains at the end. And he said something to the effect of, you know, Paul is playing a deity. He isn't one. And I think that's an important part of the story is that it's the story of someone who accidentally becomes a god and the way the lynch film ends he is one and i think that bothered me a bit that it's it's actually heroically celebrating their victory on like a unironic
1: way that we won we beat the bad guys good triumph over evil way that's not like if there's another pervasive theme in the dune books it's uh
0: the corruption corrupting influence of power right and i think that's completely gone from this version it's like paul is special he is a god he's meant to win and now granted they were supposed to make like lynch was supposed to make two more of these that didn't happen because this film did not do well critically or financially but i so who knows if he would have i mean he kind of would have had to explore those things in later films to continue to adapt the books but i did find it odd that this film does end on a note of and maybe that's the editing as well maybe they took out that stuff from yeah that maybe there was more subtlety and nuance um and the weird thing is
1: like the the harconans are undisputably evil you know that they are unquestionably the bad guys uh So it seems easy to make an unambiguous ending, but I think that's sort of the brilliance of the Dune narrative is that there is still ambiguity. It's like, yeah, these are bad guys, but that doesn't mean that the good guys are the people that won. Right. Just the people that won are the people that won. They're just maybe differently bad. Yes. Or differently corrupt or whatever it is. Um, Because the other thing I found was fascinating when I was reading about this that I learned is that uh, Frank Herbert's cousin is notorious Wisconsin Senator Joseph McCarthy.
0: Yeah, I saw that as well. And that, that <laughs> obviously had a huge impact on him as a writer.
1: Um, and for our listeners who uh, have forgotten about our history, uh, Joseph McCarthy was a senator from Wisconsin that falsely accused anybody that challenged him of being a communist.
0: And it worked until it didn't. Yeah. And it's so infamous that they took his last name and gave it an ism. That's it's a term of McCarthyism. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um that any time falsely accusing someone in uh for power and profit is McCarthyism.
0: Yeah. So that's how you know you you're a bad dude when they coin a term for what you did as your last name plus ism. <laughs> yeah. Um Ugh
1: Our country's great. Yeah. Anyways. Um but yeah, know. I thought that was fascinating. And yeah, and this movie is like Comparing it especially to the Denis Villeneuve one, which I think is is difficult not to do on some level as they are, you know, remakes and both reasonably faithful to the source material is like just the patience and depth that Villeneuve is able to do by splitting this movie
0: in half. Right. And also just I mean, he and he, visually as a whole inherits, other level, too. you know, of uh, more, you know, making the movie now. Special effects are better. People are more tolerant of stuff like this. You know, the the fact that Marvel movies and people will now. put up with this kind of stuff. You know, that yeah. I think he has a lot of advantages now that Lynch, like we said, was still at a time when we were trying to decide if we were even gonna tolerate big budget blockbuster sci-fi. <laughs> right.
1: Um yeah, and I mean, the other thing, I think the biggest disadvantage working against David Lynch is that Timothy Chalamet wasn't even born yet.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, because he is Paul Atreides. I mean, he's the... 100%. He's the living embodiment
1: of Paul Atreides. Uh, he's also the prettiest woman in the world. And, you know... Yeah. I love him. He's great. I really do like him in uh, the I no, Dune. I, I like yeah. Timothy Chalamet. He's yeah. great in Dune. I think he's a good actor. Uh, so, yeah. So, no, it's... um. And I'm joking, because I thought I mean, Kyle McLaughlin, I also have always enjoyed. Uh, he sort of found his niche as a, a David Lynch repertory player, for lack of a better word. But uh, I've always liked Kyle McLaughlin too. And this was his first movie role. So yeah. that's kind of
0: fun. And I mean, this is already getting into this silver linings a bit, which I don't know if we're ready to officially pivot or not. But uh, I, I think it is cool. And I've heard Kyle McLaughlin talk about the fact that, you know, he's cast in this big film. It's a flop. The fact that David Lynch continued to cast him always meant a lot to him because you could understand a director being like, Yeah, okay, we're gonna let's go our separate <laughs> like, ways, we're, we're gonna cut bait here. It's uh, yeah, yeah, we're out. And it, um, no, I'm I mean, I'm
1: fine pivoting. I think, I mean, I think this movie, just because Dune is a pretty difficult book to film because a lot of its internal monologues and things like that. And I guess actually no, because I do want to talk about like the cheesy ASMR voiceover. I feel like <laughs> we can't we can't leave that aside.
0: I mean look, you know, he Paul was an innovator in a lot of ways, and one of the things is that he invented ASMR.
1: That's true. Paul Atreides did invent ASMR. Um yeah, it's uh there's like Three times in a space of maybe eighteen minutes in the movie where there's no dialogue, it's just Kyle McLaughlin staring off into the middle distance going spice (laughs) Spice (laughs) is life. Spice
0: Spice Spice is the worm. The worm is spice. Traveling
1: without Father, deep is a kill word.
0: Father, I control the spice. I have the power. <laughs> did we do that right? Uh, did we just do ASMR? I don't know how to do it. I think we
1: did. I, 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 I think. I think we'll, we'll, we'll have our listeners get in the comments and let us know. If you got those brain tickles, let us know. <laughs> yeah. If you got those, if you got the tingles, got the warm tinglys
0: <laughs> Let us know. Uh, Um, I do. uh, One more thing that I I do want to say since we haven't pivoted yet is I think just as we kind of covered it. But because we talked about at the top two, David Lynch is weird. And also (laughs) Dune is weird. It's a weird story. There's giant worms and there's a spice and everything is kind of bizarre. There's a a, the villain floats around. I mean, it's all kind of weird and sci-fi and all the terms are strange. This movie is too normal for how weird it should be and it, it you put you hired david lynch but then you didn't let him david lynch and i think no, that's yeah a you big don't hire problem. david lynch unless you're gonna
1: let him david lynch that's uh, yeah that's 100 um this movie could have been an absolute fever dream and maybe it was a good choice that it wasn't
0: but you know who's to say i would have i wanted the fever dream like that one scene that we played at the top i think was getting close to something that we could have had And it yes, it definitely (laughs) seems like Lynch was not allowed to be as weird as he probably would have been
1: uh, when Paul Atreides goes off on his walkabout in the desert and then hallucinates with the water of life and realizes that by the power of Grayskull he has the power. He's definitely tripping balls in that. scene. Oh, he is just on a journey. Let me tell you.
0: It's weird that he ends up uh, having sex with that showgirl in the pool. Which is, I thought, it was yeah, a weird, that's bizarre. Where there's because there's no water uh, on the planet, so I right. thought that was odd. Yeah, on Arrakis.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, th- this movie. I don't know, because like I would say that the Denis Villeneuve one is not weird.
0: Yeah, but I. But it also is. Like, I mean. It doesn't feel weird but it's it has a weirdness just integrated into it. Like all of the weird stuff is just presented as normal, but it's all there. Like you have yeah. you have a big floating guy and you have the thing the box that you put your hand in and it hurts. Like it has all the in the giant worms. Like it has all the weird stuff but it's somehow really grounded to just be like this is a world where this stuff exists.
1: Right. It it yeah, I don't know. It, fe- it feels like it feels like that's. it feels more integrated into the world I think in the the more recent one.
0: There's a lot of Where's work. This one? It has time and there's a lot of work just putting into like this is the planet because there's scenes it's like we're going to go see the worms. <laughs> we're going to go check them out. You know, like like we get to spend more time with everything. So it is just sort of dad I don't want to see the worms. You know, kind of Oh no, we're going to see the worms. You're going to like the worms. <laughs> I, I want to hang out with mom. She's a weird witch. <laughs> Yeah, I know she's a weird witch. That's why I married her. <laughs> Actually, I don't think they're married, right? Isn't she...
1: Uh... I know that she's a consort. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And she was supposed to have a daughter, and she's like, no, I'm having a son. Screw you, Bene Gesserit. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I- I'm ready to pivot and talk about the silver linings of this movie. Let's do it. Um, At a time when genre films did not have earnest acting this movie had really earnest acting
0: yeah it does i mean i i said it before but to, to restate it it's weird to think about but i think david lynch could have been a mainstream blockbuster director i think all of the obvious like technical skill is there
1: oh 100% yeah it's he just has such a weird just natural weirdness to him that makes it would probably make it an uphill battle to do this standard but well, it would just be a blockbuster fair
0: even if it worked it would be he'd be going home and like you know making weird dinners for his family or something They're like it would have to come out somewhere
1: yeah you'd be like eating porcelain served on a rack of ribs <laughs> like it'd just be off the ribs are the askew. plate and the porcelain's yep. the food yeah, you eat the porcelain, it's the food. It's like, but these ribs are so well prepared, and we're just gonna wash them in the
0: dishwasher at the end of the night. Uh, now, kids, finish um, your ice cream so that you can have your Brussels sprouts.
1: <laughs> uh, something about the country of Rand mcnally where people wear hats on their feet and the hamburgers eat people i feel like is a very david lynch thing to have happen yep yeah anyways uh no uh but no like everybody in this movie is just wearing absolutely bananas costumes uh on just really crazy sets and everybody's just like giving it their all to make this world feel lived in when like the time is unfortunately not paid in the way it is in the in the more recent version uh, to actually make this seem like a real world that people exist in. But I, I just thought, you know, and it's I mean, there are a lot of great actors in this, too, but like, yeah, everybody's just there for it. And they they don't. There's It's not like Winky. It's like even I mean, I love Star Wars, but it's dumb and bad. We've acknowledged that many times on this podcast. Um, and I feel like the actors there feel like they're acting in a Star Wars more than the actors in this feel like they're acting in a dune
0: well i mean i always remember the the famous story that mark hamill tells of when they were in the trash compactor and his hair was messed up and it didn't match the continuity where harrison ford said it ain't that kind of movie kid
1: kid <laughs> it ain't that kind of movie
0: <laughs> if they're looking at your hair in this we're all in big trouble. yes like he knew that like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like, we're we're making pulp, you know? We're making, yeah. you know, a fun sci fi like serial. The actors didn't treat it
1: like plot. But that's the thing is, like, this movie's just as pulpy, I think, in a lot of ways. But I don't know. Everyone felt a little bit more genuine. And they felt like they were, like, like, addressing the Shakespearean scope of the
0: Dune books in a lot of Well, and of again, ways. you have, like, Patrick Stewart, you know, in it, which I everything he does feels Shakespearean. and Yeah, even when it's not. And you have Dean Stockwell, who's one of my favorite just character actors that pops up in things. And just him, you know, really being evil is fantastic.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I will say I love Dean Stockwell, but, like... He's so he's so ingrained in my mind from Quantum Leap that every time I see him, I can't help but think that he's playing the same character.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that's what we can take is that, you know, Sam had leapt into this world and he had to get (laughs) He's just a
1: random dune soldier.
0: (laughs) Uh, I do like, by the way, there was one of the stories that I saw was that um, apparently Dean Stockwell was a fan of the books and asked David Lynch to be cast and it was during pre-production and Lynch was like, we already cast everything. And then the guy who was supposed to play this part dropped out and then he offered it to Dean Stockwell. But then the next time they met, Lynch apologized for behaving oddly when they had previously met. He had been startled by Stockwell having thought he was dead. (laughs) That's such a David Lynch thing to...
1: Like, well, I thought you were a ghost and... Or visiting me is sort of a premonition, but I guess
0: you're a real man, so here's your role. I looked you up. I watched some episodes of Quantum Leap, and then I said, let's put him in the movie.
1: (laughs) But Quantum Leap's not going to come out for another six years.
0: I know. (laughs) Uh, Also, Stay tuned. Watch Paris, Texas, if you've never seen it. It's a great- (laughs) Yes. It's a great Dean Stockwell movie, and Harry Dean Stanton. Like They're both phenomenal in that movie. It's a great movie. Yes, it is a great movie. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I thought the like, I mean, I did kind of slag on some of the special effects, but I thought the action in the movie was pretty good. Like, I thought the fight with with Sting and Colin McLaughlin at the end was good. I thought the big battle at the end was about as good a
0: big sci fi land battle had been on cinema to that point. Yeah, like it's that's the kind of stuff that would be shot better now you know that like objectively yeah but i yeah i enjoyed the big battle and i'm with you yeah the the sting i really liked sting in this movie like he's very fun casting and i I enjoyed him also whatever that loincloth that they had him in in that one scene a plus
1: well, because he was supposed to be nude, and then at the la- I guess uh, at the last second, this is the only piece of
0: fabric in the place. So like, here, put this on, Sting. That's actually the moment they put that on him. He uh, that's when he discovered tantric sex. That tracks. Yeah. I also did. Yeah. That- I don't know if you read the same thing I did. That apparently Patrick Stewart had no idea who he was, and uh, when he found out he was a musician, he asked him what band he played in. And when he said the police, he assumed that he played in like a policeman's band. <laughs>
1: Um I love Patrick Stewart unequivocally. I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Star Trek fan, but I do really enjoy, especially the next generation. But I also just love how blissfully out of touch Patrick Stewart seems to be with everything outside of his own little world. Oh yeah. Cuz like there was cuz there was like a story uh right around the time that he and Ian McKellen were doing their Broadway run of Waiting for Godot where like he ate pizza for the first time. <laughs> As like a 60-year-old man. Now, and now,
0: what do you call this? Pizza pie. Pizza, it doesn't taste like a pie. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, yeah, and so, and just like how amazed he was at the existence of pizza.
0: And Now you're to tell me that I can go to any vendor in New York <laughs> City and buy a single slice of this pizza pie. And then I eat it. What? How, it's not a dessert. It's an entree. How delightfully absurd! <laughs> how cleverly droll. No, and there's also this story that when he was either up for the role or they were casting for the role of Pro- Professor Xavier, his son was like, Dad, you have to play this role. You look just like this guy. And he was like, what are you talking about? And then he was like, he showed me a comic book. and." The man looked exactly like me, but he didn't know who Charles Xavier was until... He had no idea who the X-Men
1: were. Yeah. I'm amazed he knew what a comic book was, if I'm being perfectly honest. He probably didn't.
0: These, Why are there pictures on the front of that book?
1: Where instead of just words on the page, there are words and pictures. <laughs> but they're not made for pre-literate children.
0: No, no, no. These are these are made for people of all ages. <laughs> And you're telling me that they they took the story from these comic books and they wrote it into a film. So they took the
1: picture books and made a motion picture. How novel <laughs> 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 yeah, he's the best he really is I, I I love Patrick Stewart he um and what a fantastic actor he is, man. just like yeah,
0: yeah he. <laughs> The you man know. defines gravitas, like he just <laughs> yes. has it.
1: Like. Yeah, that he can he can do he can do no
0: wrong with a line delivery. Um, he's just uh, he's so good. We also, if we can take a moment, my biggest unequivocal silver lining, and I texted it to you, is there's just shot in this film <laughs> as he's marching into his presumed death <laughs> in this big battle, <laughs> where for some reason. He, he's got all of the other soldiers around him and he is holding a pug <laughs> that looks very confused to be in the shot. <laughs> to be fair, when does a pug ever not look confused? That, that is fair. I, I will say though that I, I have some questions about, pu- first of all, pug's, should not still exist in whatever year this is in the future. Like that year eleven one ninety one. That that we should have figured out their their poor breathing by then. (laughs) Like like, like they shouldn't exist now. I love my dogs so much, but they are uh, you know, just absolute monsters that That's at Jolene Pug if you want to follow the dog on Instagram. Uh but That and then two. the other thing that I thought about is we tried to take Jolene to Palm Springs when it was like 90 some degrees and she panted in a way I've never heard her pant before. And we were very concerned and just literally sat her in front of the air conditioning in the car to cool her down because she could not do 90 degrees in Palm Springs. So I question bringing a pug. To, to the Ar- Mexico Ar- desert. To, well, to the Mexico Desert, but also <laughs> and in the world in of the film, life. Yeah. Like this <laughs> to is, Arrakis. This Arrakis is planet that has uh no water and is hot all the time. Unless, I don't know, maybe they uh thought it was a sandworm. <laughs> maybe pugs are like larval sandworms.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You know what? Now it makes sense. I totally get it. <laughs> he was just carrying uh they didn't They didn't know how to make the sand trout, so they just had them
0: carry around pugs. Yeah. Yeah. David Lynch was like, no one will notice. It'll be fine. Well,
1: it's just a... Pugs are weird looking animals. They'll think they're aliens.
0: <laughs> they are. I mean, they look like yeah. That was literally men in black did that. It was like, well, the pug is an alien, obviously. Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, um. <laughs> yeah. No, that... When you sent me that picture, I was just like, yeah, I... My brain didn't process
0: that I had just seen that. No, I... I, The reason I sent you the photo is because I saw it, and I was like, what? (laughs) And then I I literally typed, like, Patrick Stewart Dune Pug, and then that came up. Because I was like, that was definitely a pug, and I need to see it again. And the image that I sent you that uh, I can almost guarantee, as people are listening to this, is the image that I used to (laughs) promote this film.
1: (laughs) Um. Speaking of sending text messages while watching this movie, uh IMDb can quit because <laughs> they found they've had the best IMDb trivia fact mm-hmm. ever. So uh producer Rafaela De Laurentiis asked other cast members to join her in the room one day as she called Orson Welles on speaker to ask him if he'd be interested in playing the role of Baron Harkonnen. After a pause, Orson Welles responded. You
0: mean the floating fat man and hung up? <laughs> yeah, I love everything about that story. I also I love to imagine <laughs> her confidence because she was so sure that this is going to be a slam dunk. That that she inv-
1: brought the whole cast. in. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to go on out on a limb and say that there is a non zero possibility that 1983 Orson Welles, when he said, you mean the floating fat man. Was, in fact, probably floating in a pool of water at that exact
0: moment. Probably. That's a, there's a good chance of that. I also love it because that means that he was familiar with the story and the part.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, I love everything about that. That is the single best IMDb trivia fact that I've ever yeah, read. Yeah, pack it up.
0: Back it up, trivia
1: yeah. writers. We did it. You did it. You did it. <laughs> Take an early lunch today. Um. Yeah, no, I just love that. Um, so I'd say like a lot of movies, I would say on this podcast, we like to say that we watch these movies so you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say this is the first time this month, uh,
0: that I would say that this movie is worth a watch. It is. It's, it's enjoyable to watch. I don't think it's terrible. I think for films that we've watched for this podcast, it's easily in the upper you know, like third upper third. Yeah, that's a good.
1: It's in the top upper third. Probably we watch watched 150 movies. This is the top 50.
0: And I will say uh, that, you know, some of the stuff I was reading, obviously this is still, it seems like a, a very fresh wound for, for David Lynch, who has never quite been able to process, which I get like, this is a big swing for him. And, oh, in 40 years, he still has not rocked. And in 40 this. years, he still seems like he doesn't want to talk about it, that he considers this a failure, and that he he is unhappy with the film. There's even stuff we didn't get into it, but like he took his name off of the TV edits and he he seemed to not really want anything to do with it. They've released different versions and he's never been involved in that. But I do wish that we might be able to see someday a David Lynch-approved director's cut of this film. If the, if the extra footage exists and if he ever finds the desire to go through it and to sift through it, I would like to see how he would have put this together because I I have to believe it would have been even better than what we saw.
1: Yeah, I, I have a feeling that it wouldn't have impacted its box office receipts. Probably not. At all. No. um, the, I think this movie was... Uh, it was a big shot, you know. It's a, it a big swing, um, in general. And I mean that they didn't put their best effort out there by any stretch. But I think it would be interesting. I think it definitely be better. It might be weirder, which would be fun. Yeah,
0: I hope it's weirder. I, 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 I mean, yeah, it'd be yeah. I, I also hope it's weirder. <laughs> but yeah, maybe someday, David Lynch. If you're listening, uh, one, please let us know what the weather is, and two. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe come out with that director's cut. Let us see. Let us see the David Lynch approved version, which he would probably be like, "I did release the approved version. It was Inland Empire. That's my oh yeah. N- that's my no one watched it. <laughs> that's Dune as I intended that's it. Dune, <laughs> that's
1: the Dune I always meant to make. <laughs> um, well, so but yeah, I mean, give it a shot. It's it's fun to watch." Yeah, it, it. If you're trying to be a completionist for this podcast and watch all the movies that we talk about, shame on you. Yeah, we that's not why do we do that. this podcast.
0: Yeah, we're we're taking that on for you, so don't don't do that to yourself. We can take um, it. we have calloused our skin. We feel nothing. We, our hands are in the Ben
1: Gesserit pain box <laughs> at all times. That's our DVD player. <laughs> yeah. Um. But this is one. Give it a watch. This is this. Uh, is a rare give it a watch recommendation from your boys at slp yeah
0: yeah it is it is joel and andy approved and uh as always remember it's sunny and 78
1: silver linings playback is a production of hobotrashcan.com if you enjoyed the show please rate or review it on apple podcasts hear more great shows on the peak sloth podcast network like this one
0: I see there is a new episode of Hobo Radio in my podcast feed. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a Hobo Radio listener can feel. A Hobo Radio listener at the start of a long episode whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope Joel makes a joke about banging Lars's mom. I hope Lars tries and fails to coin a new catchphrase. I hope they talk about Batman. I hope. Hobo Radio is a pop culture podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network. It is available wherever you get your podcasts.